Well, I guess the, you know, the definition of habit is something that works in a, you know, has worked in the past, yeah. right? So it works in a fixed situation. Yeah. And you know, real freedom means you're, you're in the moment. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Howie, a very fine morning to you. And you too, Glenn. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Yeah. Uh, I went for a, a, a slow, gentle run this morning, and I'm looking forward to a, uh, a relaxing Memorial Day weekend. That's nice. So do you go for a run every day? Is that a, a habit of yours, would you say? <laughs> uh, it is. Uh. It's, uh, or it's almost a habit, mm. because there are, like most days, I have to talk myself into it a little bit. Mm. So the action is a habit, but it's not the same sort of habit that I would just do mindlessly as a default. Gotcha. Okay. So it's like a semi-conscious habit kind of thing. It's not just something that happens in the morning. You don't just automatically roll out of bed, put your shoes on and start jogging and kind of wake up five minutes into it like, oh, I guess I'm doing this yeah. again. Right. No. And part of the challenge is actually your fault. Okay. Uh, so that, you know, over the years, you've given me lots of morning things to do, like, you know, like the dowsing. And, and so and the more things I add on, the, the habit comes from stringing them together predictably. Mm. Okay. Um, so when I'm in a groove, yeah. Then I know, okay, so first thing I'm going to do is the Dows. Then I'm going to do... Now, I just... I was in New York where I got a whole bunch of PT exercises for my pelvis and hips. I have to add those in. Okay. So yeah. that kind of messes everything up. Yeah. So I have to kind of wait for it to settle and then intentionally create right. the chain. And then it, then it becomes a habit. Then I don't have to think about it. So you have a chain of individual habits that kind of cue off of each other. And, and that helps you to kind of keep the structure and keep it all going. But now that we've kind of juggled the order or you've had to introduce a couple of things, it's, it's proving harder to get to the final habit. Is that right? Oh. Yeah. And to give you a, a, a very embarrassing example of that, when I started dowsing, yeah. um, you know, it was in the backyard and I would fill the bucket with a garden hose. After mm. dowsing, I'd you know, it'd be after a run. I'm like, why don't I just like, clean myself with the hose? Okay. And so, so I would like, you know, wash off and be clean. And then I would discover that like, oh gosh, I haven't like brushed my teeth in the morning because <laughs> brushing my teeth was linked with yeah. shower, shave. Right, yeah. Right, and, and so I was simply, it was so ingrained in me to brush my teeth hmm. that when the, uh, the antecedents changed, it just yeah. didn't even occur to me that I wasn't doing it until, wow. until it got gross. <laughs> so you got a major cavity and you're like, you brushing your teeth? Oh, wait, I haven't done that for three months. No, I'm sure it wasn't that bad. But I'm not no. qualified to talk about teeth because I am British, so that's true. So. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So, um, so bringing that up, obviously, um, quite artlessly this morning, because I'd like to talk a little bit about habit and um, the power of Systema to change uh, our habits, both good and bad, and to see whether or not we can kind of uh, make more connections between what we do to try and fix habits in the Systema laboratory, as it were, and um, how we kind of approach those things in our daily lives. Because sometimes I've seen people carry those things over very, very well. Like they, they get into some good patterns when they're training, and then that just seems to naturally evolve into, oh, I'm just going to look at my life and see where else this could apply. And sometimes it seems to completely elude people. Right? They'll have good habits in training, and then the second they step out the door, they'll get into, for example, bad posture, or they'll stuff some terrible food in their face, or you know, mm -hmm. or they'll just kind of stop breathing, hold their breath, do all kinds of uh, different things. So it's interesting to me how um, it's not necessarily intuitive or easy to translate these things across but i think there's a lot of power in systema to help us with the power of habit as it were right and maybe one of the benefits of this podcast is that all the people who train with you yeah who who and train to your voice so like the minute you speak yeah we are like okay 
Breathing, posture, (laughs) drop the shoulders, like all the things you remind us to do. It could be just the voice or it could be walking into the training hall and seeing the four walls Mm. um, that could could be cueing us to remember the the stuff that's harder to remember outside of that. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. So let's start with that idea of cueing. Um, There's a book that was quite popular a few years back um, by Charles Duhigg and it's um, by no means the first um, book on the neuro- neurology of like free will and habits and things like that. And it was just called The Power of Habit. And it was mostly kind of like a self-helpy type book uh, for getting people to change their productivity for the most part, I think. And, and sometimes towards health too. I think he famously like uh, changed his cues and rewards to lose a whole bunch of weight, right? And that, and that was part of the things, one of the things right, that it was the, him up the 3 p.m. cookies. Yeah, what was that again? Remind me of that one. Every day at 3 p.m. he'd walk down to the vending machine and get a, yeah. a packet of like three chocolate chip cookies. Okay. And yeah. then um, as part of his uh, his analysis of the habit in terms of yeah. the loop, yeah. he assessed that there was a real need for something at 3 yeah. p.m., but it obviously wasn't cookies. Yeah. So he started doing these experiments. Was it the need to socialize? Was it the yeah. need to get up off his desk and stop thinking? Was it the need mm. to go for a walk? Yeah. Was it the need for to drink something or to yeah. eat a piece of fruit? And he was just experimenting to see which of these which of these things fulfilled the real need yeah. that he was uh, using cookies to yeah. fill. So can you remind me that there was like a three part structure to that um, to that loop, right? That habit loop. And it, so there's a cue, the cue, the behavior, and the reward. Right. And and his central thesis is that if you want to change a habit, rather than just try and kind of uh, change. Uh, try and cut it out altogether and just sort of deny yourself that entire loop, that entire set of things. So for example, if you want to not eat cookies and just be like, all right, I'm not eating cookies, that's it, I'm just going to cut them out of my life. But if the cue is still there, if what he really wanted was movement or socialization to get up from his desk and feel less isolated and talk to people, then he would have to find something to replace that with. Otherwise, the lure of the cookie would be too much because it's associated with that reward, that little dopamine hit in his brain of getting to talk to people and like a, a nice sugar rush like <laughs> along with it as well. So, so his central idea, if I'm not mistaken, was that you have to see if you can identify that those loops and then see if you can switch out maybe um, the cue or for a similar reward or trying to find another reward, uh, another behavior that's going to kind of give you a similar type of reward. Is that kind of right? That was it. Yeah. The, the, you're, you're not going to defeat the habits just head on. Yeah. Mm. There's two, the neural pathways and the dopamine system. Yeah. You know, the, the, and this was the first time I came upon the idea that dopamine wasn't the, the reward molecule, but the anticipation of reward molecule. Mm, yeah. So, you know, when I was studying music, there was a, a story about the two musicians lived together and one of them would get up faint, you know, late yeah. and the other musician couldn't stand it. So he started going down to the piano and playing dun da 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 uh-huh. And then the other guy would have to come downstairs and <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Play, play the last two notes. And the, the, the habit loop becomes like that. That the, the, if once the cue is in motion and you already yeah. have the, the, brain, the brain cued to, to respond to that loop to get its reward, yeah. the longer you wait, yeah. the more intense it gets. So it's not like you can sort of wait it out just because yeah. of the, the physics of, the, yeah, yeah. of the, the rubber band getting stretched. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So have you, um, have you used this? kind of realization with with your clients because you work a a lot in trying to get people to change their habits their healthy habits maybe from like a poor diet to a a more healthy plant-based one or from zero movement and just kind of Mm -hmm. a sedentary lifestyle to one that involves like a lot of movement and exercise as a part of their daily activity as opposed to something that they just kind of burst at um, a couple of times a week how has this kind of helped you in your work and and where have you bumped up against difficult things we were talking about 10 minutes ago about how it's more difficult with groups than individuals but just in simple terms like did, did this change the way you approach things knowing this um, about this reward loop 
Yeah, absolutely. Because it, I mean, first of all, um, one of the things that I'm starting to do more and more is uh, sort of psychoeducation, mm. where the more, you know, the, just knowing about this is empowering. Yeah. So that, you know, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not weak-willed. I'm not like, this is my brain mm. on habit. Yeah. So knowing that and knowing that, that whatever my previous experiences have been, that this is a logical outcome and there's nothing wrong with me. In fact, it's working exactly the way it should be working. Mm. Um, can take away a lot of the stress and shame around it. Yeah. So, so it's just you know, sharing the book or sharing the habit loop yeah. is one of the first pieces of, of um, you know, solution is, yeah. to, is to let people know what's happening. Yeah. Um, and then absolutely it helped me realize that you can't not do bad habits. Mm. So, so instead let's replace them. Yeah. So I, you know, I hear people in, the, uh, in my program and they'll say, you know, okay, this weekend, it's Memorial Day weekend, I'm going to a family, I'm not going to eat the tortilla chips. Mm. I'm like, okay, mm. what, are you, what are you going to do? Yeah. In other words, come up with a positive. Mm. So, and it could be like, when I get the urge to eat the tortilla chips, I will walk over and get some crudite. Mm. Right. So to create contingency plans based on the knowledge that this, this habit is is in there yeah. and it's going, it's going to uh, come up at some point yeah. and, and that just, and the, the, the intention to not do it mm. doesn't really hold any weight. There's no, there's no traction yeah. in that. Yeah. I think, um, I think one of the useful things that Dewey's work um, did was just kind of to point out that there, that there is a loop, as you said, right. That it's not just um, a simple matter of that we have willpower and we can exert it over everything all day long and um, that there are patterns that form in our neurology that make it difficult for just us to out will these these pat these ingrained subconscious patterns that um that are built then some of them have evolved they're there for example like eating sugary food or eating fatty food right we don't do it because we want to get fat or we want to you know we just want to taste sweet things we do it because we have an evolutionary legacy in which it was helpful if you came across something that was very energy rich to stuff it in your face because you didn't know when you're going to get another meal again right so right. it's kind of but now we're eating all day every day and we very rarely fast so eating that way is counterproductive and becomes very very unhealthy plus we've managed to turn our food into food products that have way more sugar than are available in naturally occurring quantities as we've, as we've kind of talked about before so it's that acknowledgement that our environment plays um, a bigger role than we sometimes attribute it to and, um, and this, um, Marshall Goldsmith's another one who's been uh, big talking about triggers and habits and in, in kind of self-development and in business specifically I guess he's like a you know, professional life coach and development coach and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he talks about this, um, this twofold kind of truth of, of habits and triggers and habits, which is one that we woefully underestimate the role of the environment. We think that we can just wander out into the world and be like, I'm not going to eat cookies. I'm going to um, be motivated to go to the gym at lunchtime. I'm going to keep my posture great all day when I'm in the car, when I'm working, whatever's going to go on. We just think that there's nothing that's an environment that's going to derail us. Um, and we woefully overestimate our willpower and, and our focus and our concentration and our ability to not get bored and distracted, right? We just think that we're wonderful at that, that we're superheroes and that the environment, we're almost impervious to the environment. We kind of, we don't honestly believe that, but we act as if we believe that, right? We wander out into the world as if those two things are what's happening. When then the opposite is true, we're, we're extremely susceptible to our environment and partly for genetic reasons. Uh, evolutionary reasons and partly because of the things that we acquire the habits that we acquire through our lives right kind of conditioning that we have from when we're kids maybe the things when we that we ate when we were kids or the patterns that we get into at work um, so we're very very susceptible to our environment and our willpower is a it's a finite resource you know it wears down you start the day with a certain amount of it and the more you have to exert it um, or the or the 
the more often and the more intensely you have to exert it, the less likely it's going to be that you're going to be able to bring it to bear towards the end of the day. And there's been more um, research on that, which is very, very interesting um, to show that it's, you know, it's finite. You just can't use it all day long. Right. Although I've seen some really interesting research on the idea that it's finite if you believe it's finite. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, you know, certainly what we, what we want to do when we're changing a habit mm. is as quickly as possible connect it to an identity. Okay. So my guess is that the biggest leap you would make is, as in Sistema is when you get your instructor t-shirt. Hmm. Why would you think that? Right. Because, because now you're not just a student, it's not just a hobby, it's not just something you're doing, it's among other things. It becomes, it's a, a rite of passage into a, a new identity. Okay. So now you're, you're, you know in the back of your mind all the time you're still a Sistema instructor yeah. at the beach when you're playing, interacting with your kids on the playground. Yeah. You, you now have to represent mm. in, a, in a more fundamental way yeah. what, what this t-shirt means to you and, and what, yeah. it's, what it's done for you. So, you know, you don't have to get the t-shirt. Yeah. But I think in any, in any, like we always work with our people in terms of, so it's not, not just plate spinning. Yeah. So my business partner, Josh, talks about like for, for decades, he was trying to lose weight through plate spinning. Like, oh, I'm going to do this hard thing. Yeah. And, until, you know, so the idea is you make the habit the default mm. and it becomes, this is who I am. I am the sort of person who. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because I, I think on the one hand, you're right. If you have a responsibility to, um, to keep habits up, right, if you, then you're kind of uh, motivated. You get this new intrinsic motivation. You're like, well, I have to be a systemic instructor, so I, sh I need to model these behaviors, right? If I'm consistently not modeling them, then that's not living up to the identity that I've created for myself or somebody else has created for me. But I think that also comes part and parcel with, with a lot of danger. And we've kind of talked about this before in that, you know, you're expected to act a certain way. And so you kind of rest on that. You know what I mean? It's, it's like the t-shirt the means that I should keep my posture. So maybe when I take the t-shirt off and I'm at the beach and nobody's watching, maybe that's when I can slob out, right? <laughs> or that's when I can forget about my breathing or do other things. You know, so I, I think there's a, there's a double-edged sword with that one, if that makes sense. Well, I think it's at what, at what level of sophistication you adopt the identity. Yeah. So if you study with Vladimir, yeah. you, you can't help but adopt an identity of humility. Right. This guy wakes up every morning and thinking, I'm not that good. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, if you check in regularly with Vladimir, you'll get yeah, a humility check on a regular basis. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, it's, you know, it's all, all of us have a certain capacity to, uh, to hold and understand concepts. So whether, whether yeah. you're mirroring the externals of like, mm. you know, I'm buff and I can punch you in the face and make you hurt, or mm. I'm at peace um, and I flow easily through the world, mm. or... I'm, I'm humble and I understand my weaknesses and my mm. life is a, is a devotion mm. to, uh, to the divine to overcome them. I mm. think there's, there's all those different levels in Sistema and all of us probably, you know, we, most of us come to martial arts not for the third one, but yeah. to defend ourselves and, you know, be cool. Yeah. And so it's okay that our motivations change over time. Yeah. A, I think maybe there's an interesting kind of corollary there to, to your chain of habits that were coming up. Like maybe your first habit is to avoid being flinchy and, and submissive with people to the extent that they trample all over you and you feel like you can't defend yourself verbally or physically, something like that, right? And maybe through Sistema you're looking to fix that habit and make yourself more stable and make yourself more assertive or something like that. Like some people come to Sistema for that reason, I think, or to, to get over the, the tendency to flinch away from contact or flinch away from aggression, that kind of stuff. So that's the first thing. And then you acquire a bunch of other habits along the way, like stay keep your posture straight for health or, you know, control your 
your emotional or nervous system as it starts to fire up. See if you kind of uh, make movement a part of your daily life and then these things chain together and then eventually you end up at this end point of like, oh, I'm actually attempting to better myself for a, for a higher reason here. It's not just so that I can do things for myself, it's so that I can do things for other people, it's so that I can understand my impact on the world and how it relates to all of us, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's very much of a hero's journey mm. in which it's hubris to think that you'll understand what you want in the next stage of the journey. Mm. Yeah. So at some point, you're just sort of trusting your instructor and trusting the tradition Yeah. and, and trusting your own unfolding. Yeah, it's funny. I've been thinking a little bit about that, that whole, how it does relate to the hero's journey, partly because I'm using that kind of narrative to put together my uh, workshops in stress proofing and things like that, or the, the longer ones that, or the new ones that I'm coming up with, specifically one that I'm doing on um, compulsive, compulsive technology use, uh, mm. calling it tech proof on how to kind of wean yourself off of, you know, compulsive internet use, compulsive smartphone use, texting, messaging, all, all kinds of stuff like that, which is a massive, you know, problem now uh, in the in the modern Western world. Um, and I've been thinking about that whole classic hero's journey thing, where where at the beginning of it you're shown kind of how the the way that you are right now. Like you use your phone compulsively, you're not very healthy, you sit still for long periods of time, you ignore your friends, all kinds of stuff like that, right? And then being shown that there's another way of being, right? Maybe there's people elsewhere in the world, in Scandinavia, who value hygge and like time with their families and just put the phones away from 5 p.m. And, you know, in France, it's against the law, I think, now or something like that to, for, to make your employees answer emails after 5 p.m., something like that, right? Um, so... You're showing that there's another way to be, that it's not inevitable. And then you're like, we have all these tools. We have these ways of making you more mindful about your internet use and your phone use. And you can do this. You can strip all the apps off your phone so that it comes back to a pre-1990 you know, flip phone almost. You can um, put all these cues into place, these cues and triggers into place so that you um, don't pick up your phone when it's blipping out. You can change the notification settings, stuff like that. Um, and yet you can give that to people and they're like, there's still this intrinsic kind of... Uh, resistance to that right they're, they're like no, no, no you don't understand how hard it is for me and i have to use my phone for my job and stuff like that and so you give them all these tools and you give them all the everything that they need and then they still don't act on it um, because when they get back into the real world those habits and patterns that they have take precedence over the new ones that they could have in and it's only through going through that hero's journey ordeal thing like if, if the habits and patterns help them when they go through a really tough period then they might start to see the value of it and then come back victorious right i think that's kind of like an interesting cycle to look at and it's one that sometimes i think beginning systema students could could benefit from to, to know that the path ahead is not going to be like one of steady continuous growth where you just acquire new habits and get rid of old ones like in a steady kind of linear fashion it's going to be more like you're we're going to ask you to acquire this new habit like um, breathing continuously no matter what's going on and you're going to forget about it and you're going to hold your breath and you're going to get punched and it's going to be terrible um, or we're going to ask you to keep your structure straight and uh, you're going to get better and better at that but you're just going to forget it and you're going to fall out of position and get crammed or something else is going to happen um, and then you'll go through something else which is going to be terrible and you'll lose all hope you think you, you have no skill in systema and you can't fight you can't defend yourself and then if you continue training and come out the other side of that then you'll start to see the real benefits and then you can really start to grow right the, 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 you're playing for the long game rather than uh, just like the small incremental benefit one of the things i think that's most profound about systema and other forms of physical activity that include discomfort mm. is that I think for most of most of our bad habits are us trying to avoid discomfort. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so if you just take someone in the wide world and you say, okay, stop looking at your phone, mm. they're going to come up against all the negative thoughts, feelings, emotions, anxieties, childhood traumas, whatever it's in there yeah. that they've been distracting from and numbing out through yeah. this compulsive behavior. Mm. And most people don't have a, have a container big enough to deal with it. Yeah. And Sistema, in, inherent in Sistema is you're going to get punched. You're going to be put in arm bars that are going to be extremely painful. Mm. You're, you're going to be miserable at some point during every training session. Mm. And that's the part of the point. Mm. So that bec becoming okay with discomfort on a physical level, I think, is a lot easier mm. than becoming um, okay with discomfort on an emotional, psychological, spiritual level. Yeah. And, but I think it's a transferable skill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely is. I definitely, and that's probably accounts for a large amount of the transformation that you see in people when they stick at training, right? Whether they want to or not, it starts to infect their wider lives if they just allow it to in a big way. So, so that's interesting, that's that idea that most of, our, of what we do is to avoid mostly pain and discomfort, right? Um, we don't want pain and discomfort, and yet Sistema teaches us that we actually need it, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. something that we need in our lives to teach us lessons, to teach us that we can be courageous, to teach us that we don't have to fold and flinch from everything, right? And some pain is to be avoided, right? It's information, and it tells you that your knee is buggered, and you probably shouldn't do more pistol squats when you've got no, you know, cruciate ligament in there or something like that, right? Um, but some pain is just that. It's just a little bit of information that sort of says, mm, maybe let's not continue with this, but work around it. It's fine. You can skirt the edge of this pain and do useful things, right? Um, and on the flip side, you, were talking, um, you mentioned distraction, that kind of, that it's hard for somebody to give up their phone, for example, looking at their phone because they crave that distraction. Now, distraction is not anything that we actually need in terms of like doing productive stuff, right? Nobody seeks to be distracted on purpose, most of the time, right, that they want to, but it's something that we want, right? It's something that kind of, when we get bored or we get, we get locked into the same work pattern or something, or the routine is kind of getting to us, we, we crave that distraction, but we don't actually need it. It's not beneficial to our bodies. And, and coming back to Marshall Goldsmith's um, work on triggers, I, I thought that was really interesting that he differentiated, um, well, he, he kind of split habits into um, the triggers that cause habits into a lot of different categories, um, these little kind of dichotomies. And two of them that he put up were they can be productive or counterproductive. You can have productive habits, like you getting up and going for a run is a productive habit. You getting up and dousing every morning is a productive habit, right? And obviously we can reel off reams of counterproductive habits that we probably both have, right? <laughs> and lots of other people out there can send us theirs. Um, but then he also talked about the um, encouraging habits, right? Uh, things that, um, that we want and then discouraging habits, things that we really don't want, right? And the, this idea that you can place them kind of on a grid from things we need on the, on the right-hand side, for example, to things we don't need on the left-hand side. And then maybe the other axis, the y-axis, is going to be things that we want on the top and then things that we don't want on the lower side. And so when we look at something like um, fear and pain, right, that goes squarely in the category of we don't want it. We absolutely, nobody wants fear, right? Nobody wants to feel fear and terror. And nobody wants to feel pain. And, you know, maybe sociopaths notwithstanding, right? Maybe, maybe a couple of people. Um, no, healthy people want to feel pain, right? It's, it's a sign of something we want to get away from. And discomfort to a, to a lesser extent, right? Um, but that's squarely in the need. So it's in that bottom right quadrant of like, it's things we need, but we don't want. And so that training system long enough helps us to stay in that place. We don't want it, but we should keep showing up and we keep working with it because we understand that we need it to grow. Um, and the distraction, that constant kind of distraction, 
and maybe the little pleasure hit that we get from checking our phone as well and seeing that you know some 300 people liked our little Facebook post or something like that, right? That's squarely in there. We don't really need that. We don't need that for affirmation of ourselves. It's not the same as like praise. It's not the same as somebody being encouraging and, and, and genuinely helping you to develop as a person. It's just this kind of fake mm. kind of uh, it's, it's a, little hit of it's pleasure. A, it's an imitation of what yeah, we need. it is. Yeah, it's an artificial kind of little hit of pleasure. Um, so we don't need it, but we want it, right? And, and I think... There's other things that fall in those categories in Sistema, right? Bringing it back into the realm of like the Sistema world and training. Um, so another one is failure, I think, right? We don't want to fail ever, mm. um, but we have to. Failure is necessary. I mean, it's, it's a trope, but failure is the only way that we grow. If you don't get it wrong, you can't understand how to get it right. You have to get it wrong again and again and again in all kinds of different contexts in order to even understand what getting it right means. And then once in a while, you should probably get it wrong again so that you can remind yourself of what the right way is to do it. We never want to be wrong. We just don't want to be wrong, but we need it. So that's one that's in there, failing and, and, and losing. We have to lose sometimes, right? Um, and that's in contrast to the constant need to win. Now, I'm not saying we never need to win. Maybe if you're you know, getting mugged and somebody has a knife you don't want to lose right you don't want to get stabbed that's not the outcome but i think sometimes in some martial arts this constant um emphasis on winning at all costs right you have to win 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 is always the goal and all that kind of stuff it's like well that's going to leave you devastated when you realize that you don't win them all right and and if in training you need to win all the time then you'll just do whatever you can do to win and then you don't have the benefits of failure and, mm. and the lessons and the, the new movements and the new principles that you could learn as a result of your favorite thing not working, right? If you just keep falling back on your favorite thing to win, like to go faster, to go stronger, for example, then that, that hamstrings you as a person and you, and you fail to grow. And another one is pity as well. Like we don't, sometimes we want pity, like when we get injured or we get struck or something like that and we're, we're not doing too well, we want someone to be like, oh, are you okay? You know, mm. Let me help you out with that, right? And we feel like we want it, but we really don't need that. It doesn't help us at all. It just it helps us to pity ourselves and we don't grow from that either, right? So that's, it, it's a tricky, there's a whole bunch of things that come up. And I think Sistema helps to keep us in those, in those quadrants. I mean, the easiest quadrant that um, Marshall talks about is the things that we both need and want, right? So he mm. talks about that we want, uh, that we want recognition, and that we want uh, like money. Do you know what I mean? You, you need money unless you're subsistence farming or something like that, right? You need money to get by in the world, so we need it and we want it, for example, right? Um, in Sistema, it might be that you want stability, that you want balance, that you want power, right? That you want control. You want all of these abilities to have control and all that kind of stuff, right? So these are easy things to crave and to work with and all that kind of stuff. But it's these, it's these other things, the things that we need, um, but but we well, don't want the, the criticism, the failure, um, the, the hard practice, right? Everybody likes good practice. Everybody likes, some people love rolling around on the ground, the ground fighting. They're very relaxed on the ground. They're like, yee, I get to do ground fighting. And they're rolling about and they're enjoying themselves and they're kind of, they're comfortable and they're either dominating their opponent or they're just comfortable doing that, right? But then you make them do a push-up for five minutes or you make them walk up and down the wall with their hands or something like that, or you make them do like a really difficult exercise or stand on one leg and do a push drill, and they hate it. They're like, oh, I don't want to do it. That's the hard practice, but it's the hard but necessary practice, right? Um, so right. Well, so you, don't, you, you, don't, you don't get the things in the happy quadrant unless you're yeah. doing the things in the unhappy quadrant. True, yeah, yeah, you can't right. build structure without failing and, and learning how the ways in which your structure is weak and then trying to reinforce it. And, mm -hmm. and you can't learn control unless you experience a loss of control and figure out what happened in order for that to happen. Yeah. Right. So I made three little mental notes as you were, as you were talking. One of them yeah. reminds me of a friend of mine, a, a clinical psychologist who studied with Albert Ellis, mm. the, uh, R, R A E T, rational emotives, whatever. Mm. Um, um, Michael Edelstein, he talks about like all of the stress in our lives, mental stress comes from mistaking um, 
preferences, demands for preferences. Mm. So that if you, you know, that, yeah, we all want to win. Like yeah. that's part of, that's part of it is that we mm. want to win. We're not trying ever to fail. Yeah. But within that context, mm. failing will happen. Yeah. And so if we say, well, I, pr- I always prefer to win. Yeah. Th- that's fine. That's sure. That's the way it's supposed to be. Mm. But if I demand to win yeah. and then I'm going to, and the second thing was, you know, Carol Dweck's growth mindset sure. versus fixed mindset. If I yeah. have to win at all costs, then I have a fixed mindset and I'm really hamstringing myself yeah. in terms of what I'm willing to try, how I'm willing to grow. Yeah. I'll just keep doing the same trick yeah. over and over again and someday it'll stop working. Yeah. And critically, when that does stop working, you'll be crushed because your identity as a winner will be removed, right? You'll be like, I'm a winner, I don't lose at this, right? And mm-hmm. then when, when you lose, you're like, oh, well, this is stupid, and you'll probably give up, right? right. Um, whereas somebody who has that growth mindset, like you said, Dweck's famous growth mindset, will just say, oh, well, I'm clearly not as good as this as I thought I was. I have a tendency to win. I prefer to win at this, um, but I'm not as good as I thought I was, and there's always room to, I'm constantly evolving and adapting, right? As is our, as are my partners, right? right. Um, there's another danger as well in measuring yourself against other people in training, because Sometimes doing that, you're treating other people as if they're a fixed place and a fixed entity as well, right? And mm. aside from the, the perils of the ego that we've talked about, they're associated with that as well. It's, it's just a false comparison because you can, you can have a bad day and someone else can have a good day. Or you can have a good day and they can be having a terrible day. And it doesn't mean anything a lot of the time from, from week to week or day to day when you say, oh, I owned that guy in ground fighting or I can hit harder than him or I, can, I kept myself more calm when we were doing this drill. It's like, oh, yeah, good. Well done. Good, you know, good job. <laughs> but that's just one day, and, and we're constantly evolving the whole time. So, um, so yeah, looking at that is important as well. I think. Right. I think there's one there's one more thing about sistema, and I haven't trained extensively in any other martial arts. Mm. Like I did a you know a few months of judo, and I did a day of karate once, and six weeks of krav maga. Mm. But from what I hear from people, yeah. is that sistema tends to be a very welcoming community. Yeah, um, and the way that the way you know you have your check-ins at the end, and and you know the the whole philosophy of it mm. is that you're you're part of this community, which means and this which brings me to um, our mutual friend Dan Ariely writes mm. sometimes about benign masochism, mm. where people who do like triathlons like actually enjoy the pain of it, mm. so you can sort of train yourself to enjoy going into that sucky quadrant. Yeah. Because the problem is if you're doing so, you know, we can talk about like in my world too, everyone wants to eat healthy Mm. and it's good for them to eat healthy. So that's the happy quadrant. Mm. What they don't want to do is feel bad. Mm. And the way they not, they don't feel bad is by eating junk. Mm. So they have to go into that bad feeling and the bad feeling is now Mm. and the good outcomes are in the future. And so because of present bias and future discounting, Mm. it's really hard to equalize that. But if we apply the benign masochism, we say, God, I, I'm getting beat up. I come to Fight Club, right? Mm-hmm. Emmanuel Manolakakis' mm-hmm. dojo is called Fight Club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm a proud member of NC Sistema. And, yeah, we beat the hell out of each other. And I can mm-hmm. sort of smile when I say that. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. my God, did I get punched by Rich the other day, right? <laughs> <laughs> and to, to train ourselves to enjoy yeah. the thought of not enjoying mm. can flip that algorithm. That, uh, um, the mathematics of, of delayed gratification. So we can, mm. you know, don't wait until you're stable and strong. Yeah. Enjoy sucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Embrace the suck, as yeah. a Navy server, Josh Willink would like to say a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Yeah, that, yeah, that's fascinating. That's a really, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And it's, it's a good framework to work within from the second you walk in the door, I think, yeah. of, of training. 
uh, and maybe daily from the from after your douse. Maybe that's a little <laughs> mantra you can say to yourself right before the the douse water hits your head. <laughs> well, at the moment it's more comfortting than anything, so it's, it's yeah, nice weather. Just, it's, it's, it's just hardly even worth yeah, it. Yeah, it's just nice now. But yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get some ice and some bits of glass in there or something. We'll kick it up a notch. <laughs> That'll be good. Cool. Okay. Um. So, practical practical takeaways from this. Um in changing habits or kind of figuring out which habits are going to be useful to you and which, which aren't. Um, there's, there's, there's an interesting framework that, um, I think it's Marshall Goldsmith again, it might've been somebody else, but um, I can maybe dig that out and put that in the show notes. Um, for looking, for first identifying your habits, just sort of saying, uh, you know, is it something that's kind of uh, happening consciously or is it something that's just become part of your routine and you're doing it and that might be a good habit that might be a bad habit right um, and it doesn't matter for the purposes of this analysis right it might be something like running it might be the 3 p.m cookies it might be um you know netflix at the end of the day it might be um you know going down to the the office cooler in the office in, in you know three times during an hour or something like that right could be any number of things some are good some are bad right um and then an interesting way of looking at this over the long term, I'm pretty sure it's Goldsmith that talks about this, is that you can look at the things that you would like to preserve. You're like, oh, it's a good habit. I get up every day and I douse and I have benefits from this. So I should work at preserving that. I definitely shouldn't let that go, right? Or your example, I should probably keep brushing my teeth, right? <laughs> Maybe you change your schedule around and then three days later you're like, I'm not brushing my teeth. Is it really worth brushing my teeth? I'm like, yes, yeah, probably is. Because like the, the alternative is, uh, is, is gummy um, gummy braces and things like that as you get into older age, like uh, bridges and, and implants and all kinds of things that are crazy expensive in America. Yeah. Um, whereas in England, they just knock your teeth out and just leave you there, you look like a pirate, it's fine. So, <laughs> no, they don't. But, um, so there's some habits that you want to preserve, right? Um, and then there's some habits or there's some things um, that you do on a daily basis that you want to eliminate outright, right? And maybe it's the 3 p.m. cookies. Um, that you just you realize that it's not helping you at all. Maybe you like cookies, but and it's fine to eat them once in a while. But every day at three p.m. is probably not a good habit to be in. Do you know? What I mean, maybe like, for example, right. like when I was growing up, my parents had a thing called rubbish night. Right. <laughs> so every um, during the week, we would eat what you would call normal food, just British food, you know, bangers and mash and pies and whatever it's going to be. You can debate the quality of British food. That's fine. It's a separate issue. <laughs> can, um, you, can you though? Yeah, I think you can. No, so um, so we had to have real meals essentially for the rest of the week and that kind of stuff. And then on Friday night, uh, when my dad who worked in construction would typically finish early, all the guys in construction will clock off at like four o'clock in Britain and everyone goes for fish and chips or something or they have a couple of pints and then they go home. So he would clock off and then he would presumably have some vision chips or a couple of pints. Uh, and then he would come home with like a, you know, like a can of soda, right? A can of Coke, something like that, right? And a, a bag of crisps, you know, the potato chips. Um, and then like a chocolate bar. That's usually I opted for like the fries chocolate delight or something like that. Or sometimes like a, a marathon, which was our name for the Snickers or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this was designated rubbish night. So on a Friday night, he would come home and he would bring the rubbish home. Like this was the crap. This was the stuff you did not eat for the rest of the week, right? So it's like rubbish night. It's only once a week we, we do this, but but we're going to do it on Friday night, right? And I thought it was a really interesting thing because it's like, we're like, wee, it's rubbish night. But then we're like, oh, well, that's it until next Friday, right? We don't eat that crap every single day. We don't buy cans of Coke and chocolate bars every day of the week, like when we're at school and stuff like that, right? Um, so I thought that was an interesting way of kind of setting it aside. But um, but let's say that you were, you did get into a habit of eating chocolate every day or buying a can of soda every day, like when you started to feel a bit um, dippy during the afternoon, a couple of hours after lunch or something like that, right? Um, you might say to yourself, well, I need to eliminate that outright. And then you can start to look at the cue and reward system and be like, well, do I just need a pick-me-up? Is it that I'm not getting enough sleep? So maybe if I protected my sleep a little bit more, I wouldn't be so 
drowsy at 3 p.m.? Is it that I haven't moved all morning? Maybe if I started the day with a run or once an hour, uh, once an hour on the hour, I got up and moved around from my desk and then I wouldn't be feeling so lethargic at three and I wouldn't feel like I needed that sugar bump or sugar plus caffeine bump in the case of Coke or something like that, right? Um, so you can switch those out. And then the other two categories I thought were quite interesting. One is, um, so you had uh, preserve, some good habits you want to preserve. Then you had eliminate, obvious bad habits you want to get rid of. Uh, and then we had create. So it's creating a new good habit that you want to put into your system. For So in your case, it was dousing at some point. You put mm-hmm. that into your morning routine. Uh, and then another one is accept. It's like it's a, it's part of your routine. It's a habit. And these things often are forced upon us by structures like at work or something like that, right? Or you have to, you have a responsibility to, I don't know, drive the kids to school or something like that, right? And you hate being on the road at that time and experiencing traffic and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but it's a routine, it's a part, it's a habit that you have to go along with, but maybe you have to kind of come to terms with that in some way. So this kind of structure of preserve some things, eliminate others, create and accept, and just going through everything that seems to be automated in your life and then making a conscious choice to do one of those four things. And I found that to be a really useful exercise to do with my people that are going through stress-proof workshops, for example, um, the longer ones we do this at the end of it. And they realize that so many of the things that they're doing They've just not been making, they've kind of fallen into them. They're not making conscious choices every day. And then some, some things are, obviously they want, the, the eliminate and preserve, and preserve ones are fairly obvious. People are like, of course I want to keep going for a run. Of course I'm in the habit of going for, a, you know, of eating salads every lunchtime. I should, I should keep doing that. Um, but the other ones, the accept and the create new habits tend to elude people a little bit. Like what could you put in there instead? Um, and there's a balance between, you know, if you eliminate one thing, you might need to create a new habit in that um, Charles Duhigg sense in order to kind of, co- complete that habit loop so you've got something else right. there to replace it with as well. So what I'm, I have a lot of things I could say about that. What I'm curious yeah. about is how can you work with that in Sistema? Mm. Are there things around creating or accepting that you can practice in training? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so some obvious ones to like habits, new habits that we ask people to create, right, are things like um, you should uh, breathe continuously no matter what and you should maybe exhale on contact, right? So when people touch or, um, or strike you, then you should automatically exhale, usually through the mouth, in order to dissipate the pressure, both psychological and physical, that tends to come to your body if you inhale and hold your breath, which is the other like contrast to it and that kind of stuff, right? Um, in terms of movement, right? When somebody approaches, try not to kind of just freeze on your feet and then just stay where you are. Create a little bit of movement, whether that's from the feet and translocating your whole body through space, or even if it's just shifting lightly from foot to foot or creating some sort of internal movement within your body. You get into the habit of movement as a way of protecting yourself or feeling free through movement, not of holding your ground and planting your feet, right? So you can create those two habits. Um, Habits to eliminate, the tendency to um, reach out and stop people, keep stopping them at arm's length when somebody approaches, if you reach your arms all the way out to them and meet them where they are. Um, it feels safe in one sense and that you create kind of a framework that keeps people away and says stop. Um, but in the other sense, usually you're reaching beyond your useful leverage points and you give them fingers and arms and things to work with and they can easily pull you off balance, right? So that idea of blocking or putting your arms up and pushing them away from you, of defending the airspace around your body instead of defending your actual body, that's a habit that you want to eliminate, right? And we can do that through usually through drills that show you the folly of that, (laughs) basically, because otherwise you just won't. You'll you'll rely on it. Again, that habit came for a reason. It's like, I'd rather not get hit in the head with a bottle, so I think it's better if I put my arm up and have my arm get hit than my head get hit, right? So that blocking um, instinct comes from a place, right? It's worked for you at some um, some point in the past. And which I think which speaks to the the wisdom of of training slowly. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things in life where you can't artificially change the speed at which you respond. Yeah. So, it's, you know, it's hard to not snap at someone at work because mm. 
you don't have a you know a, a way to slow down time mm. and you know your amygdala fires up and yeah but it, but in in training we, mm -hmm. when we're talking about physical bodies and physical space we can mm. you know okay so every time you approach me i stick my arms up now if you approach me at one tenth the speed yeah i can inhibit i have yeah. i have space to to, uh, to open to a potentially different response yeah absolutely yeah you have to give yourself a chance to rewire that that instinct right and because that doesn't happen at speed right the rewiring mm -hmm. and the rebuilding happens slowly right and gradually you probably spent a lot of time with the other habit right and the analogy mm -hmm. to you know your work is like people can't expect to shift immediately from like a terrible food product like fat-based diet to a healthy plant-based diet overnight because they've probably spent 20 years practicing the opposite, right? They can't expect to just be like, oh, it's gone now. Now I'm going to jump, right? It's probably going to take some time and effort. It might not take another 20 years, but it's probably not going to take 20 minutes, right? right. So you've got to take some time to undo some of that neurological wiring that's being done. So practicing slow is very, very important. But that said, the caveat to that, I think that you can practice very, very slow and kid yourself that you have good habits. You're like, look at my posture, look at my breathing, look at my movement and my distance, it's perfect. And then when somebody attacks you very, very quickly, or they do it with a weapon, or you have more than one person, and you'll freeze on your feet, you'll hold your breath, and you'll do a whole bunch of things that, uh, that didn't appear at slow speed. So you, at some point after you've trained slowly for a while, you have to kind of ramp up a little bit and see how much of those tendencies are still there, how many are you kind of falling back on. Right, well you have to stress mm -hmm. test your habits in real life, otherwise they're not habits. Sure, exactly, yeah, yeah. and the yeah. same thing goes for you know eating habits and stuff like maybe you're good when everything's fine at work and your family are fine but maybe if one of your kids is sick or you know you you have a bereavement or something else like that that's that's your fallback and that's when you start to you know get into bad habits again or it's like i'm i'm great in durham but i suck in toronto yeah yeah right? so or so I, I, yeah. I see these new you know these new opportunities these, mm. you know it's a difficult time a bereavement a stressful time mm. um a difficult travel period yeah an illness as I'm, I'm going to Toronto. Mm. I'm, I'm being forced, you know, I'm, I'm being shown my limitations, my weaknesses, and being mm. shown the roadmap for what I have to work on. Sure, yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, a, book, a book that we both enjoyed, uh, Organized Tomorrow Today, talked mm. about the concept of fight-throughs. Yeah. Right? That you're, tra you're trying to win most of them, but if you're winning all of them, then, then they're probably not fight-throughs. Right, yeah, yeah, there's value to that, definitely to that struggle in itself, yeah. Um, another one that springs to mind, um, for me, for habits to try and eliminate that we can work on system is the tendency to kind of retreat from pressure or retreat from a threat, right? Um, and this is an interesting one because I felt like in some ways it's interesting, it's useful as a habit, right? If somebody encroaches on your space or is being aggressive, you don't want to just stand there and hold your ground and go nose to nose with them and, and give them reach and initiative and all those kinds of other things. And I think in many years of training Aikido, the tendency there is to blend and to give ground and to pivot and to move around the person and not to face them at all, right? No, not really to hold your ground at all. So I got into this kind of habit, habit of pivoting away or creating a little bit of distance so that I can feel comfortable. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Sometimes that's the exact right tactic or the exact right thing to do is to give yourself a little bit of space, to give yourself some breathing room, and then you can see the situation and you can work effectively at a comfortable distance. Um, but if that's a habit, if every time somebody threatens you, you step backwards, right? If every time somebody gives you pressure, either verbal or physical or, or violent, right? Your, your tendency is to move backwards. Then you tend to be controlled by people who give you pressure, like either verbal or psychological or physical, right? And, and Vladimir drilled this into me. Um, a couple of years back, he was, he was like, you move well, but you always move 
you know, you always move evasively, you're always moving backwards, right? And he goes, and that's okay, if, if, like, if that's your personality and that's the way that you like to deal with things, is you like to create a bit of space and be like, hang on a minute, and then re-enter when you feel good about it. He goes, um, he goes, it's good, but it's not good. And like, and so he goes, you know, sometimes it helps to create distance, but not if this is a habit, right? If, if I'm making you do this, if every time I step forward and, and it makes you move, then I understand that very, very quickly and I can start to, you know, dominate you and corner you. And in boxing, for example, they call it ring craft, right? Your ability to, even without hitting the guy, just the, the way that you use your footwork, uh, like makes the guy retreat into a corner and then you kind of shut down his options and make it a lot more difficult, right? Your ability to control them without even touching them. And you don't want to give somebody that kind of power over you. Um, in wider life, you don't want to give people that kind of power over you either, right? If you're always submissive and subservient to your boss, right? Like immediately, everything they ask, you're like, yes, sir, right away, sir, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're in for a miserable life because they'll probably just put more and more and more pressure on you, right? Knowing that you will take any kind of pressure. I saw this in Japan a lot um, where, you know, one of the expressions that people um, at work come out with is something like, donna kuro demo hiku keru, which means I'll, I'll accept any kind of hardship, right? It's like, can you imagine somebody in, you know, in America saying that? Probably not, you know, more about kind of standing up for yourself and individualism or like, well, I respect your authority, but there's limits to what I'll do, right? Um, but you can get into a terrible, you know, situation sometimes when you, if, if you just retreat constantly from pressure. And so retraining that and saying, okay, I, I can retreat, or I can move sideways, or sometimes I can move in, right? Sometimes I can just solve the problem immediately and just kind of not reach out with my hands, but step into this thing, lean into this thing, and, and, and solve the problem before it's actually begun. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, I guess the, you know, the definition of habit is something that works in a, you know, has worked in the past, yeah. right? So it works in a fixed situation, yeah. and you know, real freedom means mm -hmm. you're, you're in the moment. Yeah. So that, you know, so if you feel an emotion, mm. right, which is a, a signal to act in a certain way, yeah. that you don't want your habit to override it. Yeah. Which brings us on to the last thing. So we've talked about what Charles Duhigg had to say. We've talked about what um, Marshall Goldsmith had to say. We've looked at, you know, some Dan Ariely, some other people's comments. So now what Vladimir has to say about habits to resolve all this is that all habits are bad, which is really interesting. Like all habits, mm. whether you think they're good habits or whether you think they're bad habits, all habits are bad, mm. right? So, um, and that's, that's a difficult one to resolve sometimes because you're like, if you use this other framework of like, well, I know I want to, I want to preserve some habits. Surely I want to exhale every time there's contact, right? Surely I want to breathe out. Surely I want to move every time I feel threatened and that sort of stuff. So like, mm, not necessarily. If that becomes a trope, if that becomes something that you're just doing automatically, even though 90% of the time that might be a good habit to have, um, that other 10% of the time that might be used to control you. For example, if you, somebody strikes you and you exhale, about two thirds of your air or something, and then they strike you again rapidly two or three more times. You might not have enough pressure left in your body in order to you know, ward off those next couple of blows, or, or you might kind of rely on that breathing and, and not move your body, right? Um, so I see that sometimes in myself and in other system students who've been practicing for a long time. Habits, good habits that they acquired early on, um, like breathing constantly with movement, for example, like unifying your breathing and movement. Every time you like make a movement, you inhale or exhale and that sort of stuff, right? That's a good habit to have versus holding your breath and just making it random. Um, but sooner or later, you have to uncouple your breathing from your movement a little bit as well and then have the possibility that your movement breathes you, that you move and therefore it kind of squeezes breath out of your body and vacuums it back in again. Or even that you breathe almost completely independently of what you're doing and then you're genuinely free, right? You're breathing continuously, you're moving continuously, but one's not dependent on the other. The breathing doesn't interfere with the movement and the movement doesn't interfere with the breathing. But that's a difficult place to get to um, and you have to go via, I'm just going to move when I breathe, move when I breathe. But sometimes you can see people holding on to those things. 
um, for too long almost. Mm. They're, trying to cre- they're trying to preserve that habit because they're like, oh, it's the best habit ever, I need it. But that habit then is holding them back and it's stopping them from growing to the next phase of their development. Does mm. that kind of make sense? Yeah, well, it reminds me of stuff I've read about like impressionist painters mm. where the, you know, the great ones were able to do lifelike drawing. Yeah. Right? Mm. They didn't just go straight to pointillism. And... Sure, yeah. Picasso is an amazing realist. He could paint incredible realist portraits and stuff like that. He just right. chose not to. He chose to represent people and things in a different way. Right. Or, or the, I don't know if you know, the, I'm, I'm guessing you do know the Justin uh, Norton Juster book, the, the Dot in the Line. No. Oh, this yeah. would be great. Okay. Where uh, it's about, you know, sort of chaos and order. Mm. And the, uh, I think the plot is, it's a, it's a love triangle between a, a dot, a line, Hmm. The, the line loves the dot, but there's a squiggly who's much more attractive to the dot because hmm. he's like free and like a bohemian poet hmm. and but no no self-discipline. And so the line is, you know, too square, is hmm. too straight. But then the line has to learn how to like create, you know, vectors and angles and then can sort of dazzle. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the I won't give you the punchline of the book. OK, but but just the idea that you need. In order to become free, mm. you need the discipline to overcome all the instinctual habits. Mm. Yeah. Right. So that's the middle phase is mm. to is to rewire. Yeah. And once you've rewired, then you can unwire and yeah. and respond in the moment. Excellent. Yeah, bro. And that's that's probably a good place to leave it. I think. And so that that with that concept and uh, and if there's one overriding kind of message to take from this, it's that. Um, be mindful of all habits, right? Good and bad. Because um, if the goal of mm-hmm. systemic training is to know yourself, is to understand yourself better, then these involuntary routines, whether they're good ones or whether they're bad ones, um, are a part of who you are, right? And whether you choose to keep them or whether you cho- choose, choose to alter them or eliminate them entirely, um, you, need, you have to understand them first. You've got to look at them, right? The unexamined life is not worth living, right? So you, you've got to kind of go through that. So, um, so yeah, I think if we bear that in mind as we train and then we try and keep that with us as we leave the training hall or the gym, right? All the time. It's just like, well, I should look at myself critically. I should make sure that I'm free, um, free to act and free to decide no matter what it is that I'm doing in life. I think that's probably the most important thing that we can grasp from systemic training, apropos habits. Right on. Cool. Well, thanks very much, mate. I'm uh, off, as is my habit, to try and catch a delicious veggie smoothie from you before we go. All <laughs> so, right, let's make it happen. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about training at NC Sistema, you can visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. If you'd like to find out more about Sistema classes and seminars worldwide, please visit www.russianmartialart.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can share it with your friends online, you can write a review on iTunes, or you can support us directly with a monthly contribution of $1, $5, whatever you can afford. To become a Systema for Life patron, please visit www.patreon.com slash ncsystema. Any and all contributions are very much appreciated. They help us to keep the podcast going and to keep it advertising free. Many thanks, good health, and see you in training.